Good, good. We might get started, I think. Um, I, th I think given that it's such a lovely, balmy, tropical day, um, some people may still be stuck in the rain and, and will probably come in a little bit late. Um, but, but thanks very much for coming along to week three of the Oxford Transitional Justice Research uh, seminar series. Um, it's a, a real pleasure to have back for a repeat <coughs> visit in Oxford, um, Diana Batchelor, who um, OTJR was lucky enough to have here last year for our international conference, and uh, we were very keen to, to try and get Diana back. So it's, uh, it's, it's really nice for us, I think, to be able to do that. Um, Diana actually has, well, knows Oxford well and truly inside out and upside down, having studied here, um, doing a BA in experimental psychology, uh, which she finished back in 2003. Since then, it sounds like she's been kind of here, there and everywhere. Um, she did uh, a little bit of work at the, the Kroc Institute uh, in, in the US. She's worked on a project that some of you may be very familiar with, which is known as Beyond Intractability, uh, which is a, a sort of a, a conflict and, and resolution network, I guess, of scholars and practitioners right across the world working on, on, on issues of conflict. Um, I guess the, the experience most recently that, that uh, I guess Diana's going to draw on in her presentation today is, is working with the, the Umam Documentation and Research Centre uh, in Beirut, um, where, where she worked for, for quite a while. And, and she's just told me that more recently uh, Diana's been working with, with sort of the young offenders working on issues of, of restorative justice uh, here in the UK. So she certainly brings a great deal of academic and practitioner uh, experience to, to the issues that she's going to talk about in her presentation. As you can see from the title up here, Diana's going to be looking at uh, particularly uh, psychological elements relating to memory and collective amnesia uh, in Lebanon. Uh, Diana, thanks very much for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Um, and I wish I could say I'd just flown in from Lebanon, but sadly I've got on a train from rainy Hampshire, so not quite the same. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, and I'd be interested to find out a bit more about all of you, particularly your backgrounds. Um, is there anyone Lebanese here, or with experience of Lebanon? Um, I want, need you to correct me then, because basically this has come from a year and a half of me being in Lebanon and working with a lot of range of different people, and <coughs> trying to check it out with different Lebanese people at the moment, but really would appreciate your input as to whether you think it's accurate, completely up the wall, <laughs> anything like that. So, um, I've taken my title, Lebanon of Dignity of People that Perseveres, from a song, a well-known Lebanese singer called Beirut, um, and I love this paragraph because to me it sums up, I think, a lot of, is there anyone pushing this out a bit, or is it sticks to the floor? Yeah, we can probably give you a bit more space Thank you. Um, summarises a lot of what I, how I think Lebanon sees their own country. So I love you Lebanon, my country. They said, what goes on in the land of festivals, strewn as it is with fire and dynamite? I said, our land is being reborn, a Lebanon of dignity, a people that perseveres. How could I help loving you? Even in your madness, I love you. So I would like to give you a very brief overview of some of the recent history of Lebanon um, and to talk about this idea of collective amnesia, which is developed and used a lot in terms of talking about Le the Lebanese attitude to their 
violent history. Um, I want to bring two things, I think, to this discussion about collective amnesia. One, breaking it down into components, and two, looking at it through a psychological lens, which I'll go into in a bit more. Um, and I see kind of nine components, could be broken down more or less, grouped together, um, but I identify nine and want to show you kind of what I think that the implications that has for where Lebanon is at now in terms of looking at what does transitional justice mean for us. So, my potted history, again I'm very willing to be corrected, um, what is generally referred to as the Civil War from 1975 to 1990, in reality quite a lot of different wars going on between different groups and different coalitions of people um, and officially ended in 1990 but since then there's been a lot of ongoing violence. Um, these are just a few examples that have happened since then to show you that it kind of isn't over really um, and when people talk about well how why has Lebanon not moved on all these years after the civil war that actually there's so much still going on um, with the same groups and the same influences from outside countries as well. Um, so particularly, notably through the 90s, the Israeli influence in the south of Lebanon and um, the Syrian tutelage, they call it, um, which ended in 2005 after the assassination of the ex-Prime Minister Rafiq Hariri um, and a series of national protests and I put in there the car bombs are common just to show you that the violence did kind of still continue, although Syria withdrew. Um, in 2006, the famous, probably more famous war with Israel, um, serious bombing and destruction in the south of the country, and the creation of the Special Tribunal for Lebanon, um, which was created to deal with um, the assassination of Hariri, and which I mention now because it's a kind of a hot topic at the moment. Um, the news these months, well, these weeks even, um, about the what is it about? that uh, this tribunal has been working for five years to bring about the prosecutions for the assassination of Hariri, and is about to indict, make some indictments. And there's a lot of tension in the country at the moment, literally day by day news to this week, um, as to what who's going to be indicted and what that implications that's going to have um, for the country. So also just in 2007, there was large kind of conflict in the north. Um, in May of 2008, again I will tell a little story about that because I was there. Um, 2009, they did alright with some peaceful elections, and as I said, now things are going on with the special tribunal for Lebanon. So that's just to kind of give you a brief picture. I want to tell you about May 2008, um, because for me, it's when I started to really think about what people meant by this collective amnesia in Lebanon. I was already kind of working on the issue within Oman documentation and research, they are looking at what does transitional justice mean for us? How do we get over this idea of collective amnesia? But I saw it in practice um, when, in 2008, Hezbollah and its coalition, um, for various reasons that are too complicated to go into, took over an area of Beirut, <coughs> which I happened to be in. Um, and I 
witnessed from my apartment block quite a lot of, well, violence, war, battles, whatever you want to call it, people shooting at each other from one building to another, um, kids running around on the street with guns that I couldn't quite believe were real guns because they were, they looked like they were about 10 um, and they might be toy guns, but no, they were the real thing. And really intensive violence, 65 people in Beirut were killed and many others injured. And the thing that struck me was in our particular area, when silence fell, it was sort of nine o'clock in the morning, one morning, literally a few minutes ago, everything had stopped. I started to hear some more noises of kind of little crashes and tinkles and things, and looked out my window, and people were sweeping up the glass literally five minutes after everything had just stopped. And I kind of thought, oh, this is what they mean by the famous, let's get on with life, let's not let violence interrupt what we need to do with ourselves. Um, you know, we're going to get out there, sweep up and carry on. And it was so immediate that it, to me it was a really kind of powerful picture of what this all meant. So, sorry. This word, collective amnesia, bandied about quite a lot. Um, and most people would say comes from official policies at the end of, um, in fact, yeah at the end of the Civil War, along with the Taif Agreement that ended it, there was amnesty law, um, and then there was a further, two further amnesty laws brought about in 2005, which basically um, maybe set the tone, we could say, for not looking back, and leads, led people to think that um, perhaps is, you know, to avoid further tension, we're not going to look backwards too far, and we're going to um, just do this kind of moving on thing. Um, and these official policies fed into kind of attitudes and norms in the country, which then I think reinforced the official policies and kind of, yeah, comes uh, into this idea of collective amnesia. Um, as I say, it's bandied about quite a lot perhaps first used with reference to Lebanon by Samir Khalaf, the Lebanese sociologist. Um, and actually the reasons this collective amnesia have been very well discussed by many people, again, sociologists, lawyers, um, professionals in various disciplines. Um, the legal reasons being the introduction of the amnesty, <coughs> political reasons, um, including the fact that you know Syria was occupying the country for a long time after the end of the civil war, so not a moment to discuss <coughs> what Syria's influence was, that the leaders during the civil war are, were still in power, are still in power today, um, social, psychological reasons that perhaps because of the unheroic memories it's easier to forget it all and move on. Um, so the reasons have been discussed, but it's, I think that the nature of this collective amnesia in Lebanon is unique and hasn't really been pulled apart um, in order to see what that means for the country. And as a result, people look at this collective amnesia with, as only one of two options. Either ignoring the past is causing us to suppress these memories and it's risking 
our sense of um, progress and if we if we don't look back you know we won't have a history to draw on and it's a disaster waiting to happen or it's resilience it's a coping mechanism that you know because of ongoing tension and violence we have to not look back because um, that is only going to stir up more tensions and there's kind of these two camps I think which interestingly use psychological terms um, like risk and resilience and coping strategies and those kind of things but in a kind of broad sweeping way that doesn't actually look into what it means I don't think because actually there are many many ways that the Lebanese do remember the war and the wars and the ongoing violence um, there are huge movements kind of on a grassroots level um, some with the influence of international NGOs now but the mothers of those who disappeared during the war, for example, have been campaigning for several decades for commissions to look into what happened um, and really trying to stimulate looking back. Um, and this has been on a very kind of low level, small groups of people, but Lebanese mothers of people who disappeared wanted to stimulate this kind of discussion. Um, there are memorials all around the country, definitely certain events are memorialised and remembered. Um, Harry's assassination being not the least of them, you know, very well um, memorialised, that's the word, um, sort of commemorated every year, more often than that even, and certain events from throughout the recent history are picked out and remembered more than others. There are physical mementos of the war in the country. I mean, there's literally bullet holes in buildings everywhere you look, um, and you can't forget that there has been war, um, and people therefore remember in that way. And then also this creation of the Special Tribunal for Lebanon, despite all of its, um, the controversy around it now, actually it was initiated by Lebanese groups and then it was kind of imposed in the end by the UN um, but the, the dialogue surrounding it even now with all the controversy people who are against it are still saying yes we need truth yes we need justice yes we need to look back people who are for it say well this is the way to do it people who are against it say no we should be doing it other ways but still the dialogue is let's find truth and justice so given that it's not quite as simple as effective amnesia. Um, these ways of remembering kind of into it as well. I want to divide this it into the idea of collective amnesia into kind of nine components. That's my fancy little slide. Everyone likes it. And then <laughs> I'm going to analyse them with a psychological lens. <laughs> um, so, first step in terms of disaggregating this idea is just to look at this idea of the official policy feeding into the attitudes and norms and where do things break out I mean like I'm saying where do where are there places of remembering and what does that mean um, and then this idea of implying the psychological lens I think within the kind of transitional justice world it's been thrown out like a kind of baby with the bathwater. I think in certain contexts like particularly in South Africa with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, 
people talked about the idea of the Commission bringing healing and all of these sort of pseudo-psychological goals. And I think there's been a tendency to say, well, that was all actually a cover-up for political expediency. And if we're talking about transitional justice, we shouldn't just be talking about this woolly idea of healing um, that actually, you know, let's look at it through a political lens and economic lens. Let's understand what is actually going on. And the kind of psychological goals, I think, have been a bit sidelined as, well, that's all a bit woolly, really. Um, And I want to bring it back because I think by doing that, we're really, you know, missing trick in terms of not just having this simple, okay, if someone testifies at a truth commission, will they feel better or not afterwards? But actually looking at the underlying kind of psychological values that people have, the why something like collective amnesia has developed, what it really means to individuals and how that fits with the collective. So in my kind of little diagram here, I see these kind of lenses as looking at the relationship in terms of the collective. So um, this collective suffering, violence, injustice, and how are we going to move towards justice and peace in its fullest sense for the collective. And obviously psychology isn't necessarily based around the individual because we have social psychology, etc. But in many ways the unit of measurement is the individual. And that that can provide an equally valuable lens to look at humans and their experience of suffering (coughs) and how are we going to get them closer to a place which we would call justice and if you want to use the word peace. I don't know if that's also too woolly for depending on what backgrounds you all come from. Um, So I think, and I'd like to check this out with these people as well, um, that probably the goal of transitional justice an unstated goal um, or an underlying goal is to prevent future violence and we might say <coughs> justice and peace and, and it's bigger than preventing future violence but actually I think that is a lot for the time what stimulates the discussion of particularly in Lebanon I think it's been well this has been going on so long ignoring it hasn't worked Let, we need to try something that might solve the problem in some way um, and <coughs> I think that looking in terms of the negative impact of trauma um, will take will contribute to that conversation because I mean it's been shown that people suffering from trauma are a more likely to become victims of trauma again or victims of violence and be more likely to perpetrate violence and if that's where the country's at um, or where people are at then looking at the impact of trauma is going to be very important. So, from my background in experimental psychology, I would look at post-traumatic stress disorder um, as a way of understanding the trends of people's experiences of trauma. It's a very Western concept. There's all sorts of problems with using it because it's different in one country, from one country to another. But I do think that understanding people's experiences of trauma, using that as a way of measuring and comparing groups of people can be useful and I'm only putting this many other possible psychological approaches 
because last time someone came up to me and said, what about psychoanalysis and what about everything else? So all of those equally valid. Um, and so in this kind of step two, I would take what I've broken down into nine components of collective amnesia. Each of them may contribute to risk, i.e. something is a response to trauma that then may increase the negative impact of trauma, or they could contribute to resilience, um, sort of, yeah, the opposite, basically, decreasing the negative impact of trauma. And I sort of think I can identify three that are risk and four that are resilient and two that both, but I think they all could be either. Um, but to speak kind of broadly, I will do, sorry, yeah, that's how I've divided them. Before I go into my nine components and what they look like, just to say that looking through this kind of psychological lens is not putting psychological goals above others with this respect to kind of political and economic, etc. It's not saying that psychological analysis is complete or judging transitional justice strategies purely on this kind of fuzzy thing, goal of healing. It's not diagnosing a whole country. Definitely wouldn't say that you know, whole feminists suffering from PTSD. In fact, studies have found that there's no higher levels of PTSD in Lebanon than Western countries, which perhaps indicates that, again, there are some factors contributing to resilience and some to risk. Um, and I wouldn't want to ignore the context, collective experiences, or structural violence surrounding an individual's experience of violence. Um, I do think that what the aim of this is to make links between the study of the individual and the collective, to identify trends, um, and to look at the contribution of a psychological lens to the transitional justice debate. Um, so using PTSD as kind of broadly, so as not to be kind of pathologizing certain <coughs> responses. How are you on time? What time did I actually start? So a quarter, quarter power to them. Um, so this is just my kind of method again, what I'm about to do, and this is, these are my nine components, which I will go into each one, so you probably don't really need to know in detail at this point. The four components of collective amnesia, which I think can potentially contribute to risk, I potentially increase people's negative experiences of trauma are the absence of analysis and education. And I think this is one of the reasons where the collective amnesia term came from, because there basically isn't a lot of um, education about the war period. There's, there are no textbooks. Um, and to me, that's kind of the shocking part of it, I suppose, that it's not debated. It's not out there in a public arena. Um, and, it's, and there's very little research. Um, so in 1997 there was a project to kind of create a textbook on the Civil War era and it was stopped because people basically couldn't agree what, what should go in there. Um, and also in the home, ch so children get their parents' view of what happened, which is often, you know, they're li literally that individual or that family's experience, um, but not stories from any other communities or it's kind of analysis of what happened. Um, so from a trauma perspective, the, this can result in trauma being transmitted from parent to child. 
and that actually um, studies have shown that where children are given a chance to discuss traumatic experiences out in the open, whether it be at school or with parents, that that is likely to reduce their experiences, their, the negative impact of the trauma on them, and that this kind of silence um, can increase it. So implications for any kind of transitional justice strategy um, are just the importance of public storytelling so that people begin to hear stories from other communities and not just from their own. Um, the idea of having historians who are looking into the war period and people from, for that to be in any way neutral is not going to be neutral if you're going to have to just have views from all sides and people from all communities again getting involved in that. Um, there's kind of movements for more forensic investigation in terms of, for example, the people who disappeared, literally finding their bodies, looking into mass graves around the country, um, producing public archives, and the kind of simple but extremely difficult task of producing textbooks for schools. Um, a second risk kind of factor I see described as using memories as weaponry. So where there isn't sort of this public debate and acknowledgement about what happened, there is a lot of reference to the Civil War era in a, the kind of blame game between politicians. And on the one hand, that's kind of politics. But on the other hand, I think this really has resulted in a kind of shallow understanding of what happened in the war with real focus on particular incidents and particular people who are claiming to be responsible, sorry, you know, who the blame is put on them and they are denying responsibility. So there's very little acknowledgement of anything that happened during the Civil War. Um, and I have equated this to exposure to ongoing trauma, actually, that um, because it's not looking at acknowledgement or this kind of memorialization, it's literally being reminded over and over again of what happened. Um, I think that it's a bit like this study, uh, <coughs> who found that people who watched the Twin Towers coming down over and over again on television were more likely to develop this negative, the impact of the trauma on them, um, and I think this kind of exposure that there is in Lebanon in the political debate, which isn't debate, but it's just these reminders, is, is very equivalent to that, and is having a negative impact. So in terms of transitional justice, in many ways, it's not that everything is hidden and it just needs to be exposed, actually events and um, attitudes about the civil war are sort of out there, um, but that th this debate and analysis needs to take place. That it's not just about you know bringing it again and again into the public arena, but actually looking at concrete things like prosecution of leaders and um, the debate and analysis, which I think would decrease the experience of trauma in the country, um, even if individual testimonies you know, they don't just come to a truth commission and feel better after they've told their story, but if it can actually contribute to changing the culture of this kind of blame game, that that would then change the society's experience. 
Um, a third risk factor is that this kind of sense of amnesia or closing files comes from the top, mostly. And as I said, there are grassroots initiatives wanting to change that. Um, this an example of this um, was with the, the families of the disappeared who've been campaigned campaign for commissions. That there was actually there have been several commissions. The first of which was in two thousand and which didn't release any names or didn't do very much of a detailed analysis, but simply declared that, well, if your missing person has been gone for more than four years, you should consider them dead, um, which didn't help, basically, particularly because people then materialised and who'd been gone for longer than four years. And so this idea that, okay, we'll just close everything down and even if that had come from a good motivation, well, you can then, you know, you mothers, you can then get on with your lives. Actually, this has only contributed more to a sense of confusion and, um, well, victimisation. Implications. Again, just bringing stories from different communities into the public and debating and analysing them, um, involving all of Lebanese society in the process that there needs to be a sense of ownership and not that whatever strategy it is comes from above um, and that these debates actually which you know do sort of take place among the elite there are national unity dialogues and that kind of thing don't change this culture and this experience that people in general have of trauma um, this is, I mean, similar really, but just the huge disconnect between the public and the private memories. Um, that there aren't museums even. There, there are plenty of pieces of, of history in people's houses and in very small private collections, leaflets from different political parties, all the kind of things you'd expect to see in a national collection, but a national collection doesn't exist. So even kind of bringing those kind of things all in one place would, yeah, break down this disconnect. Um, there have been some public <coughs> apologies, but they again haven't massively changed the culture because they haven't been seen to be representative of society as a whole. Um, I just read this, a community that repeatedly confirms its own the fixed ideas, so this these stories that go from family to family but don't allow for other people's stories and, and changing um, does not give room to compare, adapt and enhance their living memories with the views of others is trapped in a cycle of unchanging traumatic memories and reoccurring trauma. So again, it just points to involving as many people as possible in some kind of transitional justice process that actually that a purely a community-based solution like the Kachacha Courts would be fairly revolutionary but wouldn't necessarily change it because the dialogue within communities is not going to bring about this comparison and this changing of living memories. Um, and something else I've said has fallen off the slide. Prosecution. Always a good idea. don't remember why I said that. Three things which I think are part of this term collective amnesia and which are potentially positive, at least at the moment, 
are this idea that we're going to get on with life. And I think the sweeping up that I saw was actually a positive thing and that we shouldn't be saying, oh, Lebanon must go back over its past and it must stop everything that it's doing and look back for 10 years before they actually get on with things. But actually, by, from some psychologists, getting on with life is the actual definition of resilience and being able to still plan for the future despite the fact that, um, yeah, despite the fact that war and violence has interrupted their lives, that they can continue with it. Um, and while, um, yeah, while people talk about this as denial or denying the effects of violence, actually this kind of physical continuing on with taking your kids to school, going to university, everything that take, makes up life is actually a positive thing. And that even making this, I think, making this distinction explicit in Lebanon would help, would would mean that would bring the dialogue forward into, well, um, how can we still carry on with our lives, but what do we want to bring from the past? What do we want to understand from the past that's going to help us now? Um, I think this could be done even through basic things like the language that's used rather than, I, I know different conventions have looked at stirring up the past or building, building on the past. Um, these different projects have kind of got different names which shouldn't be about kind of stopping and reflecting but to fit with this kind of idea of getting on with life they should be about building on the past. Um, and even logistically, if there was some kind of commission that could be done in the evenings and you know, restoring old buildings and that kind of thing to give a sense of vitality, which I think is you know, something beautiful about Lebanon and very helpful to their experiences of trauma. Um, and people who did persevere and this idea of perseverance should be celebrated. Um, currently, um, I think I see in some in Lebanon um, a tendency to value the present over the past or the future. Um, and again, in terms of trauma, this can be adapted when trauma is ongoing. So, not having huge expectations for the future, which are then not able to be realised, can can sort of keep negative experiences of trauma at bay and, and enable people to deal with that. Um, and although in some cases post, if this is going to be completely post-trauma, if there was no possibility of future violence, that actually a lack of planning can be a negative thing, I think in the situation that Lebanon is in at the moment, um, it's highly adaptive. Um, and therefore, promises made by whoever is claiming to do transitional justice should be kept to a minimum and not have this idea that, okay, everything's fine now, we, let's get on with the future, but still looking at the present um, and looking at the impact of the past on the present rather than just sort of saying, well, what happened in the past? And, um, yeah, looking at the past for the past's sake, I suppose. A major way, which I didn't mention above, that war has been remembered a lot in Lebanon is through the arts. And I was amazed um, the number of art exhibitions and plays and street <coughs> things that go on, which all themed about the Civil War. Um, and this, I think, is an extremely positive way that Lebanon has dealt with its past. 
Um, and clearly from kind of psychological point of view, the use of art therapy is well known to be therapeutic. And um, yeah, this kind of part of the way that Lebanon has chosen to remember, again, should be encouraged and explored and should be opened up <coughs> so that it's not just trained artists who are able to use art to remember, but perhaps could be something much wide, more widely accessible. Um, and you know, these things could be existing efforts could be gathered and publicised, and you know, more and more sorry memorials, which there are some, like I was saying, of specific events, should be utilised more because there there are these kind of artistic people in Lebanon who want to remember and want to do something with those memories in a very concrete and um, helpful way in terms of dealing with trauma. Two final components which I think could go either way um, is this idea that each group within Lebanon can claim minority or kind of victim status. So the official story is kind of no victor, no vanquished. And because of the makeup of the groups, and the region, um, there's definitely a feeling that each group can kind of say, well, I'm, I lost out. Um, and there's a large tendency as well to obviously look at the international influence. I found an article that was published today. I should just put it away. Maybe I'll have an idea. Anyway, still, you know, you can read day to day now. Lebanese people just want to be peaceful and get on with their lives. Syria, Iran, the US, Israel, they are all why we're at war with each other. Um, which potentially is useful in a way of bonding people together, joint experiences of trauma and similar experiences of being a minority could be a way that people respond to one another and deal with their trauma. Um, but again, on the other hand, if people aren't given the opportunity to acknowledge their own guilt, it can actually increase trauma. So that is a kind of aspect of this collective amnesia that needs to be managed carefully. I propose kind of starting in this kind of public debate, whatever it looked like, um, with particular battles or incidents where people can acknowledge that there was someone in the wrong in that and that there was a victim and then if you're looking at enough of those then people are beginning to take responsibility. Focus on layering of identities and although there is a move to bring about this kind of big, bigger sense of a Lebanese identity to give people something in common, that actually this kind of layering of identities could potentially be a positive thing and used to help people identify with each other and Kind of deal with their experiences um, and any kind of process would need to deal with this kind of international influence at least symbolically um, and reparation is just a huge issue because who owes what who what who owes who what is a huge question which would need to be managed carefully um, lastly the fact all of these kind of components of amnesia that I've talked about can be found in all the groups and my example of this was a 15-year-old who, after the May of 2008, said to me, oh, yes, we Lebanese are used to this. Um, and she, um, I think she'd actually also lived outside the country most of her life, but she'd taken on this identity of, yes, 
we, we're in this together and we know how to deal with war. Um, and the fact that it can be founded in different groups, again, potentially bad because everyone is experiencing trauma, whether or not they were actually there during violent events, but potentially good because of this idea that people are in it together. Um, and all sorts of psychological studies, I mean, too numerous to even name, um, find this idea of universality a very helpful one and a very therapeutic one that finding that one's not alone um, can really <coughs> improve one's experience of trauma. So in terms of whatever the transitional justice strategy looks like, discussing ways in which everyone is a victim and not relying on a national rigid concept of national identity, but again looking at these kind of cross-cutting identities and where do people have things in common with each other in terms of their experiences of trauma. There they are again. Conclusion, I'm looking at these nine components and what they mean. To me, indicates a few main things as well as the, the things, obviously I said in terms of implications for transitional justice, but actually that there are existing efforts to look at the past in a very unique way and these things are already happening need official sanction um, from the government and also institutions such as universities and schools in terms of textbooks, all that kind of thing. Public attention that needs to come out of communities and into kind of wider national dialogue um, and more ownership. So not it being something amongst the league, but people feeling like they have something to contribute. And for me, breaking down this collective amnesia is I think actually able to see Lebanon in a very positive place and um, that it's not this collective amnesia which is a barrier to transitional justice and nor is it something which sort of just needs to be smashed down and everything brought, brought out into the open but there are really kind of unique opportunities and things already happening in the country which are positive and just which need to be built upon um, and used to bring people out of this place of suffering from trauma and into a place where they feel they have ownership of dealing with it and moving on. Yeah. Great. Thanks, <laughs>